0: Yeah, you know, as these oral boards draw closer to us, Faye, I worry more and more about my ability to remember some of these things. But thankfully, the OBG project literally fits in my pocket and I can pull it up on my phone with my library from OBG first, find everything that I need and have probably forgotten. You can head over to our website, kriagsovercoffee.com, check out the sidebar, and you can get signed up for OBG first. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is Kriags Over Coffee. Coffee. So today on the show, we've got an exciting topic in opioid use in pregnancy. Faye, what are our learning objectives for today?
1: Yeah, so today we are going to discuss opioid use disorder in pregnancy and its prevalence. We are going to um, talk about how to identify opioid use in pregnancy, and then finally, um, the management of opioid use disorders in pregnancy. For reading, uh, we would recommend that you follow along with the ACOG Committee Opinion Number 711, titled Opioid Use and Opioid Use Disorder in Pregnancy. So Nick, start us off. Why do we care about opioid use, specifically in pregnancy?
0: Yeah, so I'm sure as many of our listeners are aware, opioid use is an epidemic. It's more and more common. And the opioid use in pregnancy, consequently, is also becoming more common. In 2007, 22.8% of women who were enrolled in Medicaid filled an opioid prescription at some point. We know additionally that there's also been an increase in neonatal abstinence syndrome, um, rising from one and a half per 1,000 hospital births back in 1999 to now six per 1,000 hospital births in 2013. Substance use, we know, can be a major risk factor in pregnancy-associated mortality as well. And so I think there's a lot of reasons to care about opioid use in pregnancy and to know that we can potentially make a difference for our patients when they're seeking care at this unique point in their lives. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess, Faye, I'll turn it back over to you. What exactly is opioid use disorder?
1: Yeah, so opioid use disorder is a pattern of opioid use characterized by things like tolerance, craving, inability to control use, and continued use despite adverse consequences. The DSM-5 has actually changed previous diagnoses, things like opioid addiction, opioid tolerance, to this opioid use disorder and defines it with 11 main symptoms, things that include larger amounts over longer periods of time, persistent desire, unsuccessful efforts to cut down or control opioid use, things like that. Um, We won't include all of them, but we certainly can put up um, a list of criteria on our website. Depending on how many of these symptoms a patient has, that defines their severity of the disorder. Two to three symptoms would be characterized as mild, four to five, as moderate, and then six or more as severe. The main thing that I I wanted to highlight here by kind of talking about this is that opioid use disorder should be handled like a disease. And just like any disease, it is treatable and we should remove the social stigma that comes with it. So, Nick, talk to me a little bit about, you know, specifically, how is opioid use in pregnancy harmful?
0: Yeah, so I guess one thing to know from the get-go in terms of counseling patients at the beginning of pregnancy is that opioids have not been shown to increase the risk of birth defects based on prenatal exposure. There has been some association of first trimester use of codeine with some congenital anomalies, um, but this isn't consistent across studies. Untreated addiction, though, particularly to heroin, is associated with lack of prenatal care, increased risk of fetal growth restriction, placental abruption, fetal death, and preterm labor. Untreated addiction, similarly, is also associated with engagement in high-risk activities, such as prostitution and criminal activities, that can expose patients to other forms of morbidity and mortality in pregnancy, such as violence, sexually transmitted infections. One thing to be aware of with opioid use disorder is the social implications, and not that this should dissuade us from talking to patients and treating patients about this, but opioid use disorder in some jurisdictions can be reportable to child protective services and may lead to patients being arrested and losing custody of their children. Um, And so again, I think we should do everything that we can within our power to treat patients Um, And try to do it outside of the judicial system, but do know that in some jurisdictions, this is a required mandatory reporting. All right. So Faye, now that we've talked a bit about the background here, let's talk about actually identifying opioid use disorder in pregnancy. I feel like this is something that, you know, people always have a story of like, I didn't even know. So how do we know?
1: Yeah. So, you know, ACOG says basically that you should just ask and identify it. Um, And they recommend using something called the SBIRT method, which stands for screening, brief intervention, and then referral to treatment. So to start off with, we can begin with screening. And essentially, they just say that you can use some form of validated screening method to assess For opioid use disorder. So for example at Penn we use what's called the 5P tool which essentially asks five questions related to a patient's relationship to opioid use. So it asks about their parents, peers, partners, past and present. So basically the questions go something like, did your parents have a problem with substance use? Um, Do any of your friends have problems with substance use? Does your partner have an issue with substance use? Have you had an issue with substance use in the past? And have you in the past month for example had an issue with substance use to try and identify um, risk factors and opioid use um, disorder in your patients. They then um, encourage that the provider engages in brief intervention. So basically engaging the patient and discussing with them your feelings that they are engaging in risky behavior and have a short conversation, provide some feedback and some advice about cutting back. And then finally, referral to treatment, which is essentially if you feel that you are not the best person to be dealing with opioid use disorder in your patient, to refer them to a treatment program or to another provider that is better equipped than yourself. And then the last thing that I wanted to put a quick note in is urine drug screens. I think a lot of times, you know, that's actually the way that we find out that a patient has been using opioids. Um, But I wanted to say that, first of all, urine drug screens should only be done with a patient's consent and they should only be done in compliance with your state laws. So this is not a way to catch your patients you know, um, using opioids. That's not what we're doing. We don't want to punish our patients um, in this way. The other thing too is whenever you are doing urine drug screen, it's not so much as just asking your patients. You need to make sure that your pregnant patients are aware of the legal ramifications of testing positive. So just like Nick said before, in certain jurisdictions, this is um, a mandatory reporting case where you have to tell um, the law that your patient is using some type of opioids. And this could lead to a lot of issues for your patients, like maybe need to go to jail or losing custody of their current children or the child that they're about to have so again make sure that you're not doing this to penalize your patient or to catch your patient really a lot of times I remember in residency what we did was you know in patients who were compliant with their uh, methadone use or you know their buprenorphine use we used it as a way to say hey this is the only medication that they are on they're not on any other medications and it's actually a way to kind of you know show systems like DCYF that the patient is actually compliant with care and it does speak well for them in order for them to be able to then have custody of their children all right so that was a lot nick about identifying opioid use disorder in pregnancy Mm -hmm. so let's move on to treatment how do we treat opioid use disorder in pregnancy
0: yeah so i think what we should talk about first is medical treatment because this is really the preferred therapy in pregnancy. The medications are usually opioid agonist therapies, things like methadone or buprenorphine. And the reason that this is preferred is that these medications help to avoid withdrawal symptoms and prevent complications of non-medical opioid use. They reduce relapse risk and the associated consequence of relapse essentially. Patients that have opioid use disorders will engage in risky behaviors to obtain opioids that can sometimes be dangerous, both in the sense that the behavior is dangerous as well as obtaining a non-medical opioid, something like heroin instead of oxycodone or whatever they were using before. The use of medication-assisted therapy too also improves the adherence to prenatal care and addiction treatment programs overall. So again, good reasons to get your patients on medication therapy um, versus withdrawal, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Let's talk a little bit more about these medications though. So for methadone, we'll start basically, methadone gets dispensed daily by a registered treatment program or clinic. And usually these methadone clinics have some sort of comprehensive treatment program in a central location. Um, Importantly in pregnancy, methadone doses may need to be adjusted to avoid withdrawal symptoms, or doses may need to be split in the form of a twice-daily dose to avoid those withdrawal symptoms uh, because of the increased metabolism of methadone during pregnancy. Importantly, methadone does have a few interactions with other medications, one particular class are antivirals. Um, And then methadone is also a QT prolonging agent. And so if a patient, for instance, is in early pregnancy with nausea and vomiting and you're starting something like Zofran, it's important that you have a baseline QT interval um, as as you're getting going with them for any therapy that may increase that QT interval further. Faye, let's talk about buprenorphine now.
1: Yeah, so uh, buprenorphine is a medication that acts on the same mu opioid receptors as heroin and morphine, but it's... um partial agonist so essentially overdose is less likely with this medication and um, the nice thing is that compared to methadone there are fewer drug interactions and therefore buprenorphine can actually be used on an outpatient basis without need for daily visits to an opioid treatment program so some patients might find that this is more ideal for their lifestyle because they may not be in a position where they can go to an opioid dispensing location um, for methadone every single day and as you can imagine that may be pretty disruptive to someone's life the other thing with buprenorphine is that it can be combined with naloxone, for example, to reduce diversion, where diversion is taking the medication in a different way, like snorting it or injecting it, um, because once uh, that happens, the naloxone um, is going to cause severe withdrawal. So that combination of buprenorphine and naloxone discourages patients from using the medication in a way where it is not supposed to be used. One thing that I will put in a plug here is that you should not transition someone from methadone to buprenorphine because there's a significant risk um, of precipitated withdrawal remember that buprenorphine is a partial agonist and so it's going to partially also block those opioid receptors and trigger withdrawal so if someone is on methadone coming into the pregnancy you can keep them on the methadone if they're on the buprenorphine coming into the pregnancy you can keep them on the buprenorphine nick you had mentioned previously about withdrawal um so talk to me a little bit about medically supervised withdrawal in pregnancy
0: Withdrawal is, again, usually not the recommended course of therapy. Um, Withdrawal is associated with higher relapse rates ranging from 59 to 90% in published literature as well as poor outcomes, really tied to the facts, again, of these relapse rates. Relapse leads to risky behavior and lack of prenatal care, all of those things that we talked about earlier um, that are not appealing. If a patient doesn't want to accept medically assisted therapy, um, such as buprenorphine or methadone, medically supervised withdrawal is an option. Um, It's just that the patient should be counseled about some of these risks and the facts that it's not preferred. Um, Medically supervised withdrawal during pregnancy should occur with some sort of inpatient care that potentially is prolonged, Um, and then intensive outpatient behavioral health follow-up to ensure no relapse after the acute withdrawal symptoms have subsided. I guess kind of t- as a segue from there, the other therapy that we didn't really talk about, um, but is sort of a given and what we would encourage would be behavioral health therapy too, and the involvement of psychologists and psychiatrists um, who are specialized in the treatment of addictive disorders. All right, so Faye, I think One of the things that often brings up the conversation about withdrawal for me in the clinic are that patients are really worried about the implications of these medications on their babies or on their potential to feel pain to a larger degree after they have a C-section or a delivery, for instance. And so I feel like a lot of our time is spent trying to straighten out those rumors. So let's try and do it here.
1: Yeah so i think you know the the things that we should Um, consider before the patient even comes in to deliver is to anticipate some of these issues that may come up. And so having the patient meet with the NICU, meet with anesthesia or potentially even pain specialists, if your hospital system or clinic um, has those things, is very ideal. The other thing that I know you had mentioned before too, Nick, is behavioral therapy. So psychiatry, psychology, all of those things, because oftentimes um, opioid use is associated with um, depression, anxiety, and other mental health disorders that oftentimes precipitate opioid use. Um, So for example, if someone is getting into um, a deep depression, that might trigger their use and have them have a relapse. And certainly we know that patients who have depression, anxiety, other mental health disorders, those can get worse with pregnancy and after pregnancy as well. So definitely making sure that you are... Um, touching base with uh, your psychiatry or psychology colleagues in terms of pain management um, we know that patients who are on methadone or buprenorphine because they have that tolerance to opioids they are going to need more pain medication than the average person especially if they are recovering from a c-section so starting that conversation early and discussing how you're going to treat that patient's pain um, so that they don't have a withdrawal so that they don't have a relapse are all really really important Um, and that's where again Your anesthesiologist and your pain specialist may be able to come into play. They may be able to, for example, leave that epidural in for a little bit longer, maybe give them a TAPS block, all these other things to try and see if we're able to address these patients' pain. And then finally, patients should be aware of the fact that neonatal abstinence syndrome does exist and can still happen even if they are on methadone or buprenorphine and that despite that treatment. Their baby may still need to stay in the NICU for a few extra days and may not be able to go home with them immediately. I know that a lot of patients who sometimes come into the hospital don't realize that. And then it becomes something that's very distressing when they, you know, are all of a sudden told on postpartum day two when they're about to go home that their baby can't go home with them. So letting them know that, you know, NAS is seen in 30 to 80% of babies born to patients taking opioids, discussing that it can manifest as things like GI disturbances, disturbances in the autonomic and central nervous system. Them, which then leads to things like irritability, crying, poor sleep, all those things is actually good because that's anticipatory guidance for your patients. Every NICU or nursery is going to have their own protocols of exactly how long that baby needs to stay. So for us, it's about five days or so. So make sure you just check with your NICU and with your um, you know, IC, NICU uh, doctors to see how long they tend to observe the babies for after birth and allow your patients to know that, you know, potentially their baby is not going to be able to go home with them. And then finally, discussion of breastfeeding. Um, So we know that breastfeeding is actually encouraged if the patients are stable on opioid agonists and this can actually decrease the uh, prevalence of um, NAS. And then last of all, of course, is to continue their medications. Don't stop their methadone or their buprenorphine while they're in-house. Make sure that they're getting that medication um, because that is going to make sure that they do not actually relapse or have withdrawal. And the last thing I would say is that especially with methadone, sometimes postpartum, there's going to be a dose reduction. And so just make sure that you're working closely with their methadone clinics to figure out that dose reduction. All right, Nick, I think that brings us to the end of our opioid use in pregnancy episode. So let's go ahead and summarize
0: yeah so we laid down some backgrounds to start again talking about that opioid use is becoming more prevalent in and out of pregnancy um, we also noted an increase in neonatal abstinence syndrome over the last several years and that substance use in pregnancy in particular can be a major risk factor for pregnancy associated death we described opioid use disorder as a pattern of opioid use characterized by tolerance, craving, and inability to control use and continued use despite adverse consequences. In the DSM-5, there are 11 symptoms of opioid use disorder and define the severity based on the number of recurring symptoms experienced within 12 months.
1: We discussed that overall opioids have not been shown to increase the risk of birth defects and prenatal exposure. However, it's really that addiction and the um, use disorder issue with opioids that lead to um, unfavorable outcomes. So for example, lack of prenatal care, increased risk of fetal growth restriction, fetal death, preterm labor. um, All of those things come into play when we talk about how opioid use disorder is harmful in pregnancy.
0: We next spoke about identifying opioid use disorder in pregnancy, and the important thing is just to ask. ACOG states that the screening, brief intervention, and referral to treatment, or the SBIRT method, is appropriate. Screening should be done with some sort of validated questionnaire like the 5P tool.
1: In terms of treatment for opioid use disorder, we start with medications. Um, We will also talk about withdrawal and also, of course, behavioral health uh, therapy because that is going to be very important in the treatment of opioid use disorder. We discussed the use of methadone, which is dispensed daily by registered treatment programs and clinics, Um, and we also talked about buprenorphine, which essentially is a partial agonist of that same mu opioid receptor, but has fewer drug interactions and can actually be dispensed um, on an outpatient basis and does not need to be done daily through a clinic.
0: We mentioned that withdrawal is not necessarily preferred um, because it's associated with higher relapse rates and poorer outcomes. We talked about considerations for your antepartum, intrapartum, and postpartum care, noting that you should get your whole team on board in counseling and working with patients who have opioid use disorder, neonatologists, anesthesia, pain specialists. Um, Importantly, counseling about neonatal abstinence syndrome prior to delivery is important. The um, babies will likely need to stay in the NICU for a few extra days, depending on your institutional protocol, and may not be able to go home with the parents immediately. Importantly to note as well, breastfeeding is still encouraged if patients are stable on those opioid agonists like methadone or buprenorphine. All right, I think that does it, Faye. So once again, this is Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Creog Over Coffee.
1: If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and go onto iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and give us a five-star rating and review.
0: Find us online on Twitter at CriogsOverCoff1, on Instagram or Facebook at CriogsOverCoffee. And if you love the show, head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash If you send us some love, we'll send you some swag.
1: You can find show notes for this show and every other show on our website, www.criogsOverCoffee.com.
0: And finally, if you have a question for us, a correction to this or any of our previous shows, or just want to say hi, email us, gregsorcoffee at gmail.com.